0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to be with you for this episode. I have on a new guest, somebody that I've actually never talked with on a podcast before, but somebody who I've known for a little while and really enjoy their work, and that's Tom Haberstroh of BR Mag and the growing leverage the chat network does a wonderful job and somebody who thinks about the NBA in in a broad perspective which is something that I have always enjoyed for Real Gym Radio guests and so we actually recorded this on Thursday some other things came up and so it took me a little while to edit this but not that much has changed during that time we t- but so when sometimes when we reference something like the Warriors Hornets game had happened the day before so things like that but generally speaking you know where this is going so- so it was a really fun conversation, went in a lot of different directions, the teams that were contenders for the championship, which is where we started, a lot on health and maintenance and rest, because that is an important part of where the league is going, and as you would expect with the two of us, a lot of other areas... This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. You can try out Daily Fantasy for yourself. Go to DraftKings.com, use the promo code REALGM. And you can get entry in some awesome contests. You should check it out. I've really enjoyed it. It's a new way to connect with the NBA. It's uh, something that, you know, obviously I'm connected with it, but it's a new way to do it, and I've, I've hardly enjoyed it. So Conversation with Tom runs a little less than an hour, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me, Danny.
1: Where I want to start with this is something, it's always hard when we're as early in the year as we are and when the playoffs are as far out as they are, because it's still a long, long ways away. But you do think about, you know, what teams are competing for a championship, what teams are threatening the Warriors, because I think they're their own thing. And we'll talk about that later. But so from what you've seen so far, who would you consider true contenders to win the championship this year?
0: I only have two teams right now. I have Golden State, the obvious pick, and I'm sold on the Rockets. The D'Antoni offense, I just thought that they wouldn't be good enough defensively. I was always sold on them offensively, like at adding Chris Paul, a Hall of Famer, um, one of the best point guards in, in NBA history. The idea that he, he wouldn't be able to gel with James Harden, that never that never made sense to me. So I get it offensively. That was never the question, but defensively, the fact that they're sitting so high in the defensive ranks I didn't see that happening I mean it kind of makes you think in the 2017-2018 season Tom Thibodeau has a bottom five defense and Mike D'Antoni has a top five defense. You know, it's like it is really hard to wrap your head around the fact that a team led by Mike D'Antoni and James Harden and a fairly young big man in Clint Capella is a top five defense. But they've really added some really good muscle. I mean, P.J. Tucker, Luke Umba, Mute, Chris Paul on top of Trevor Ariza. That's a really good wing core uh, defensively. And that's exactly what they needed last year. They needed two things. One, wing help defensively, and two, a guy who can relieve James Harden from having to go 40 shots a night last year um, and do everything for them, creating offensively, bring the ball up, draw all those fouls, get to the rack, basically one of the only creators in that offense. And now you have Chris Paul who can relieve him of that. I think they're going to be a legit contender. I just think it's going to take an injury from Draymond Green, from KD, from Clay, from Steph to make it happen, but they're one injury away from being the favorite in the finals.
1: And I like that you used that phrasing. That was something that Mark Cuban actually threw out there in terms of, I think it was in the open court that they did with owners about that's one way of thinking about where you are is how many injuries you are away. And I, I think yeah. the Rockets are the closest right now. You know, Cleveland, we still have to see it. That's the hardest part with them is obviously LeBron is still the same, but they are a fundamentally different team now. Their personnel has shifted dramatically. We haven't gotten to see them at anything close to full strength. But Houston conceptually, like I, I fixated on them as not only as soon as they made the Chris Paul trade, because I thought that shored up, as you said, one of their big weaknesses. But then the way that Daryl Morey approached the rest of the offseason. So, yes, they did give up a lot. I I think while we've seen what Indiana got in the Paul George trade look a lot better now than it looked when, when the trade happened, we'll see how much of that holds. I mean, I think that Houston at least came close in terms of what they gave up in the CP trade. But they were able to fill those gaps with players that were a better fit for where they needed to go. And Maury deserves a lot of credit and D'Antoni for playing the guys and everything like that for understanding that the lens, the prism for this Houston team, which again, when you have Chris Paul, your window for contention is as soon as possible. That's the way this always works. And so what they did is they said, what do we need to face the Warriors? We need versatile wings that are not reluctant shooters. And while P.J. Tucker isn't always the greatest shooter in the world, he's not always reluctant, at least not unlike in the playoffs last year. And so they got players that made sense with what they needed, and they had limited means. Getting Nene back, they have a a deep center rotation, but they don't have to go to traditional centers all the time if they don't want to. So I think they are very well situated in the moment for it, and, I mean, it's unfortunate that we're not going to get to see the Rockets and Warriors play each other that much, but that's the series I want to see the most in the entire playoffs.
0: Yeah, that's the championship to me. I still think Cleveland, defensively, I'm just not sold. Um, I just don't see them being a top— 10 defense come playoff time. And I keep harping on this, and I know this makes me kind of a hater from, people call me hater stro for this point, which is I get that the Cavs were 12 and one heading into the finals, but it was a very, very shady 12 and one. They got an injury from Isaiah Thomas. They got an injury from Kyle Lowry. And the four-game series against the Indiana Pacers was like the closest sweep in NBA history in terms of point differential. And it's
1: not like that was a great Pacers team or anything. And I I think the quality of opposition is an exceedingly important point here. And it's not like the Warriors played great opposition either. But the Warriors won the finals four games to one. Right. So, it's a very different thing. And the defense –
0: Cleveland's defense wasn't good up until that point. Like that's my my thing is they let uh they let up something like 110 or something around there points per game to the Indiana Pacers. And then they had the, the, the gift of not having Kyle Lowry for half the series and not having Isaiah Thomas healthy for that series. So I, I'm just a little bit skeptical that you can point to last season's postseason run as evidence that they can flip the switch. I was not a believer in the flip the switch. I thought that the fact they had a, a, a 29th-ranked defense or something like that after the All-Star break was more of an indicator of their defensive aptitude than, say, how they fared in the win column for the first few games of the playoffs. And I think they just kind of got by by the skin of their teeth in a lot of those games and just got, you know, some some lucky breaks. And you need that to get to 12-1. and I'm not saying that they weren't a good team. I'm just saying, if we're measuring them against the Golden State Warriors, I don't think they got better. I think they got worse since last year.
1: It also comes down to a basic question, which was also true last year, but we thought because of the 2016 finals that maybe it didn't matter as much, which is, who's going to guard Stephen Curry? they, They have some strong defensive personnel and you know Tristan Thompson has done well on switches in the past but they just don't have that they I think they can do a better job guarding Kevin Durant this year than they did last year where they got into awkwardness when LeBron lost his ability to be a center fielder for part of the time because they had to choose between either basically letting LeBron run the defense or letting LeBron guard Kevin Durant because you can't do both of those things at the same time getting Drake Crowder really helps that that's one of a series of problems against facing the Warriors and they also like the best players defensively are not good offensive players and their best players otherwise are not good defenders and they're like Isaiah Thomas you know he can try at moments but he is exploitable in a way kind of like Ryan Anderson where you don't have to do too much scheming to take advantage of that and when we're talking about a playoff series it's so entirely different than the regular season because you spend four to seven games and all the prep days in between because remember you get more days off usually thinking about one team. And so those sort of weaknesses come into play. And so Cleveland's really their theory of the team in terms of how they could win the championship. And this is true either against the Warriors or the Rockets is they have to outscore them. And certainly for a game or two, they can make that happen, maybe even three, depending on how everything shakes out. But it's going to be hard to do that. It's not like they have necessarily, especially with how they construct the lineups, more firepower than those teams. It's just that the variance of each team, you know, it is a make or miss league, will lead them to to some wins. And I just don't think that's a stable enough foundation to expect a victory. It's possible. I'm not going to say, oh, they have a 0% chance of winning. But when you're looking at it, you have to go, for me, for Cleveland, to win a series against either of those teams right now, you're saying a lot has to go right for them and a lot has to go wrong for their opponent.
0: Right. And LeBron James is making a lot of crazy shots recently. I mean, the the late game shots, I it reminds me of Russell Westbrook last year where we were all kind of like loving it because it was such great theater. And it was like, oh my God, look at that step back that LeBron had. And he's had so many of those step back threes to like ice the game or win the game down the stretch. I just don't know how sustainable that is going forward. Right now, LeBron's shooting 43% from deep. It's not like he's shooting more of those three-pointers, but just in late-game situations, I think he's trusting that shot a lot more, um, and he's been just unbelievable in clutch situations this year. I've looked at this because of Kyrie Irving doing that vegan story. Kyrie Irving has, a, I think, 74 points in 46 minutes of clutch time, which is absurd, and LeBron James is right there with him. Actually, if you look at a win-win, Probability added perspective from unpredictable.com, a great resource for you nerds out there. LeBron James has added more win probability, quote unquote, to his team with his high leverage shots down the stretch than Kyrie Irving has. And I just don't know if that's sustainable. Right now, their point differential, Cleveland Cavaliers, are plus 3.6. That is seventh in the league, behind the Spurs without Kawhi and behind the Utah Jazz. Okay, I don't I, even with this fourteen game or thirteen game win streak that they're on. I just don't think overall that they've shown me enough that they're going to be still in that tier with Golden State and Houston.
1: It's also really hard to prove yourself against teams that aren't as good as those best teams. And and you know we're not we're not saying Golden State right now especially is is as good as they're going to be in the playoffs. Like I don't think we're going to carry too much away from the Christmas Day game this year or. the – Especially if
0: Steph's not playing, which I don't think he's going to. I think if you – yesterday, Steve Kerr – was saying, you know, this is going to be good for our team. He was actually looking at this as a positive, which, you know, you always have to play that those gymnastics of like, as a coach, you don't want to be rooting for injuries, right? You don't want to be like, yeah, I'm glad Steph got hurt. No, you don't want that. But what Steve was saying is we're going to learn a lot about our team. I'm going to get some different looks and it's going to create some friction. Like it's going to create some uncomfortable on court interactions, which is kind of what Eric Spolstra talked about when Chris Bosh got hurt in 2012, I want to say it was when he got hurt with the abstream and he liked it because it was it forced him to think outside the box and create some adversity for his team to force that uncomfortable those uncomfortable decisions like hey, Shane Battier, you do have to play more at the four because we just don't have Chris Bosch anymore. So from that perspective, I think it's interesting. We're going to – I think Zach Lowe wrote a great piece for ESPN.com about this. We're going to learn a lot about KD, about uh, Draymond Green without Steph here because in the past they've been 9-7 and seven with Steph Curry sidelined. It's not a great record considering how good that team is. I mean they, they have the regular season record and without one player on the floor, they're basically a 500 team. And I think they got to be better than that.
1: They do. And this is also a fundamentally different situation than a lot of the other high-profile injuries the Warriors have had because of the timing. So Steph Curry got injured in the 2016 playoffs. That's in the playoffs. You have to think about this entirely differently. They ended up winning that series against the Rockets. Ended up being, I think they were up 2-1 to one on the Blazers when Curry came back and had that crazy game. And, and we, and we yeah. don't need to talk more about how he looked the rest of those playoffs. But that's a very different constraint. Last year, Kevin Durant got hurt twice february and later so that you deal with that entirely differently you're kind of trying to get things together you don't know if they're going to be back for the playoffs curry right now as long as they're not worried about a recurrence or something like that this is still an experimentation time it could affect their seating you know if they end up if they go more towards that nine and seven idea then with how hot houston's playing you start to get into those sorts of things but outside of that the structure of this is so entirely different that they're going to experiment with it they're going to see what works And we saw some of those elements, Draymond didn't play on the game on Wednesday against Charlotte, which the Warriors ended up winning, but... I saw a couple things from Kerr that were encouraging for me. One was the idea that they've done before of playing without a traditional point guard. Really, at this point, with the guys they have, with Iguodala, Kevin Durant, Draymond when he's healthy, they don't need a primary ball handler in that way on that four. Of course, they can help. You know, we talked about that with Curry and Paul. It's still true. Or sorry, Curry and or Paul and Harden. But it always helps if as long as there's not too many cooks. But they can, you can use piece a guy it like... What? Yeah,
0: you can piece it together. Yeah. The ball handling and and like, with, what with you that, do, that with, kind with of
1: talent. Like, like you, you saw that you were there in person, like with Quinn Cook. They didn't ask Quinn Cook to just run a bunch of pick and roll. They asked Quinn Cook to hustle, to get into position, to take open shots and to try on defense. That's what they need from a nominal point guard. And so that doesn't have to be a point guard if you have clay on those guys sometimes.
0: Right, right. It's something that Eric Spolster really struggled with in the 2011 team. If you remember, they started Mike Bibby for the entire playoffs right up until uh, game four. Was it game four or game two that they subbed in Mario Chalmers? Because the way it was, was Mike Bibby on paper was the more traditional point guard. But when you have Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh, you don't need a traditional point guard because everyone else is a de facto point guard. So in the same way for Golden State, um, I liked that they started Quint Cook because A, it was like, yeah, we're going to start Quint Cook. Like, what are you going to like? We got Kevin Durant on our team. We got Klay Thompson. Like, even though without Draymond Green, we can just take a guy off the G League team and insert it into the best team in the NBA. And we won't blink. And they kept Sean Livingston coming off the bench because they want to monitor his uh, his minutes. But you know, this is this is when they get creative and they get to experiment a little bit more. And and I think it just like makes for some more excitement. And you need motivation from KD. You know, he's won the title. Maybe he just needs like a few weeks to just be the guy again, and he gets to do that. So that was encouraging.
1: And there will be times in the playoffs where they need him to be the guy. And it's also worth remembering that this Warriors run does not happen in the same form, if it happens at all, without an injury. Because this opened up with Draymond Green playing because David Lee had a hamstring injury right before the start Of Kerr's first season, Kerr intended to start David Lee at power forward, and it's entirely possible with how much better Draymond Green has gotten that that just would have become untenable. We don't know that for sure. I don't think Kerr is ever going to answer it openly, just because there's no benefit gained for from that. From that perspective, maybe long after he retires, he could he'll say something in passing. But those forced innovation times are essential to almost every successful team because that's when you really get a sense of it. And I mean, sometimes that's not really what leads to it. I mean, that's not what led the Spurs to Tim Duncan. But you see those kinds of injuries or different things that just get you in a different place as a part of a lot of these very successful teams.
0: Yeah, and you you are going to have to have those adversity. Like, I just feel like at this stage in the game, you're either experimenting or you're trying to build good habits. For Steve Kerr, he's he's already built good good habits. I mean this is the same team basically since last year and we want to say, oh, they got Nick Young and oh, they have Omri Caspi. Like this is basically the same team as last year. So now he's trying to experiment. And I think for a coach that might be healthy is to like, OK, all right, what do we look like with Steph out, out of the lineup? And does that help in terms of uh, – you know, not being so dependent on Steph Curry over the last few years, the on-court, off-court differential between Steph Curry on the floor and off the floor is gargantuan. And this isn't a case where a couple of years ago James Harden, like the Houston Rockets, were better with him off on the bench than they were with him on the floor. Kawhi Leonard, I think, had some of that last year. Pretty consistently, the Warriors have been falling apart without Steph Curry on the floor, and they have go from being a juggernaut, all-time juggernaut, to being a basically another team, a 500 team. So. Why is that? Like, it shouldn't be the case that Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson can't blow the doors off of opponents. So they did last night, the Charlotte Hornets, they came back a little bit and made it a game down the stretch a little bit, but they're not intimidating defensively. They just aren't. And so they could they could survive with Quinn Cook, Quinn Cook out there being a, the starting point guard because they just had too much firepower. And Dwight Howard... Uh, After the game last night, he was shooting free throws and making every single one after the game at the practice court. He was out late. And the way that the Charlotte Hornets uh, practice court works, there's giant windows out on the street in downtown Charlotte. And so there's this huge crowd of people watching him. And I'm sorry, Dwight. Like, it's not a problem of making free throws in practice. It's not. It's about making free throws in games. And you, you found out, I mean, last night he had an okay shooting night from the free throw line. But I don't think teams are scared of the Charlotte Hornets playing defensively. And certainly the Warriors weren't last night.
1: Yeah, that was something that that struck me in the game. I mean, MKG is, is still a, a wonderful defensive talent, but he's just not—he doesn't have enough to make the best of the best sweat enough. And, and it's true, you can yeah. make an argument that almost nobody does. Like, Kawhi Leonard, congratulations, you are the guy who can still make that happen. But— that's a challenge but i think one of the what's going to become a storyline this is something that you've monitored for years is the way that the best teams handle rest and handle workload because i think for Zantoni, a lot of it is just the way that he approaches these things but when they're healthy, the best players on the Rockets are working, their workload is a lot higher than the best players on the Warriors, and I would say Cleveland's is too high as well. LeBron will take days off, yep. he, he, he can control his workload a little bit more just because he has unlimited equity. But <laughs> yep. I think that could end up being a factor. And what's hard is there's so many d- different things in play that you never like, even if let's say the Warriors beat the Rockets in six games for whatever reason, you can't say, oh, it was because they were tired or something like that. But it's just something that I want to keep monitoring for this year because it's such a dramatic difference.
0: I was there for the Harden disappearance game, like the Harden ghost game, and it was It was incredible to watch. You know, he didn't talk after the game. He didn't talk to the media. And he just kind of disappeared against San Antonio. uh, I think it was game five, was it? It was incredible. Uh, He was just, he was a zombie out there. And Mike D'Antoni, after the season, he admitted that uh, they probably pushed him too hard to get to that MVP. And that's my question here, Danny, is what if James Harden is the leading MVP, you know, come March and maybe the smart thing from a medical standpoint is like, hey, let's just pull off the gas a little bit. Chris Paul, you're going to start on back-to-backs with. Uh, we're going to give James the night off. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he wants the MVP this year, and I wonder if he has outgrown that idea where LeBron's like, I'm, a, I'm, am cool with MVP as long as I'm in the championship. Like I, that's all I care about. I don't know. I think James Harden is still going to go balls out to try to get that MVP. And right now I think he's the leader. Uh, Tim Bontemps for the Washington Post – did a poll, And I think James Harden is head and shoulders above the rest of the league. And I wonder, are we going to be running into the same problem where James Harden is going to be exhausted come the semifinals time? And that's when he needs to be freshest.
1: That's also when he's going to be facing the best defensive opposition. You know, there are a lot of, and this is going to be a playoffs in all likelihood, whether you're the one seed or you're the four seed where the West, if they're healthy is good enough that teams are going to be challenged in every round. This doesn't mean they're necessarily going to lose, but facing Utah if they make it facing OKC obviously cuz they're just monstrous defensively like those teams are going to take a lot out of you this is not going to be a four game four four games just perfunctory you're out there for 30 minutes a game that sort of thing and with Harden, I'm genuinely unsure at this moment whether that motivation is going to be dissipated should they ever win championships or win enough championships that that, you know, that that ends up being his motivation or whether this is just who he is because we have seen this now for years that he is he has pushed for it and there is a part of that that is good. You know, there's a part of that that being competitive and wanting to wanting to do it is a good thing, but then there's a part of it that sees the long game and and what I think about with this is something that Draymond Green said at... This was at Media Day. I think it was the year... I think this was last year. So the Warriors, you know, they were about to... They eventually were going to be in their third consecutive finals. And what he said was, I have had to change the way that I treat the offseason because I know how long my seasons are going to go now. And there was a maturity in that answer and an honesty in that answer that maybe it's because Harden has never had the opportunity to share that kind of a thing, but I just don't see that from him. And the margins are so close that you need to have that approach because if the other team is fresher than you are and they're close, that's a material advantage.
0: Yeah. And I, I think he has like a $2 million MVP bonus or something like that for, for, with Adidas. There's some, there's some well, crazy and, numbers. I mean,
1: for him, I mean, you think about how close he's just, just in terms of not the non-monetary part of this but the ego part of it it's like you know you've been that close you think of yourself as this special player because he is and yes. you want that reflected you you want that on your legacy you want that in there and Harden has had a more varied career just in terms of being that six man of that super fun OKC OKC young team and I think he wants you know the equivalent of he wants this on his basketball tombstone. He wants it to be that for one year he was the best he was the best guy in the league, and I mean he's already seen two of his former teammates get that honor have that on their basketball tombstones, and I think he wants that, and I'm sure he feels that the year that Curry wanted over him more narrowly that he was the best player that year. So you, I can understand why he wants that. And, and I, I'm guessing he doesn't feel that that and being competitive for a championship are mutually exclusive.
0: No, no. And that might be the case. I think this stretch the, to start the season that they're going to be number one in the standings over the Golden State – I think it kind of reinforces the fact that like you can do both. You can be the best team in the league and you can be an MVP. And I think that's really fascinating is, you know, what if it takes like a couple games down the stretch and LeBron James is just going full bore and and he's playing. He's like, I don't know, jockeying for MVP. Maybe I just I play that that uh, that extra game here and there. I don't know. I don't know what that does to his postseason chances, but. I think right now Houston thinks that they can take down Golden State. You know, I think that they really believe it. Now they're 18-4. and four. They're right there with the point differential. I think Golden State's at 13, plus 13, which is really, really good. And Houston's at like 11. With Chris Paul, they're just blowing the doors off of people. So I think they're a legit championship contender. I can't say that I'm willing to go there with Boston. I can't say that I'm willing to go there with Cleveland. I think they're in the, the conversation, but really it comes down to two teams for me.
1: Well, Tom and I still have plenty more to go through, but I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about DraftKings. The NBA season is at a good point now because you know, especially if you're listening to this podcast, who you think are the best players in the league who are really going to put up the the best stats in the league, and maybe other people don't. We're still in that time where these things are getting figured out, and so a great way to test your metal and have some fun watching games is is through DraftKings. There's a great mix of public contests that have big cash prices or private contests if you want to be competitive with your friends. Something that I've really enjoyed on DraftKings as somebody who's pretty new to the daily fantasy world is that you can do beginner and casual contests so that you're a little bit separated from those more seasoned people. That's something that I've just really enjoyed with it and I've loved that they have the flexibility with it. And also the flexibility that you're not tied to a team the whole season. I'm somebody who grew up up on year-long fantasy in basketball, in baseball, in football. And if there's somebody you really want, especially in a dynasty league, you just don't have access to them. But if you feel like LeBron James or Giannis or Steph Curry is going to have a big game on a given night in DraftKings, you can just have them. You can have them on your team. They will take up a larger portion of your salary as long as their algorithms think they're going to be good too. But you can do it. You can make it happen. You can build the best team possible. And I do really enjoy that. And so the way that you can connect with DraftKings and tell them that you came from us is you go to DraftKings.com and you use the promo code REALGM. And if you do that, then you get a share of a, a big money prize on that day. And you should definitely check it out And again, it's DraftKings.com and then the promo code real GM. And there are all sorts of different kind of contests. You can win cash. If you want to do that, you can win bragging rights with your friends. If you want to do that, you can presumably do both. If you're good enough, you can get cash and some bragging rights and lots of great options. Whatever you find that works for you. If there's a specific slate of games really, well, there's, there's a lot of flexibility customization with it. So you can find something that works really well for you. Basketball, football, both going on right now, both, both really exciting to do in this format i've I've really enjoyed both of those and so again draftkings.com real gm promo code tells them you came from us gives you entry into some big money contests and i hope you really check it out disclaimer minimum five dollar deposit required eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com for details boston is an interesting one in this conversation because they deserve full credit for how well they played overall this year And it is worth noting that they've come back to earth a little bit after that ridiculous run and and full credit to them for doing that. But what Boston's approach has this limitation to me is that if you're switching a lot, if you're doing all that, it is always going to create problems against the best of the best because those players are going to be able to attack the inferior matchup. And one of the problems for Boston is there is a concentration right now of the best players on the planet. You know, Cleveland has LeBron James and a lot of really good support players. The Rockets now have you. you know, two dominant offensive players and a lot of defense around that. And the Warriors are the Warriors. So I think there is an element of it for them where it's like they can be a wonderful regular season team, but you need to have elite personnel to do it. And they do have very good personnel at full strength. And, you know, I want to see what this Boston team can be, you know, fully realized. And I don't think we're going to get that this year. Even if Gordon Hayward comes back for the playoffs, it's just not going to be there. It's not realistic to say that. So with Boston... That's why I'm still fixated on the idea of them adding somebody else. I know that in, in Bontemps' straw poll, Kyrie Irving was higher on the MVP than I would have had him for various reasons. But I still think they need that guy. That guy who is who can be the best player on the floor, not just for the last five like Kyrie can be, but who can be the last player on the floor... Against the best of the best.
0: Yeah, I Tim Bontemps texted me and he asked for my poll. I think I put Kyrie at number five and he was stunned that I had him that far down. I yeah, didn't I had, have him in at all. So I had James Harden, LeBron number two, Steph number three, Giannis number four, and Kyrie number five. And I joked with him that Ish Smith was a close six. But I think Kyrie has done a great job of being the closer. Uh, we already talked about it, 74 points in, in 46 minutes. He's got 10 assists and zero turnovers down the stretch in clutch situations. Can't take anything – like those those clutch wins and that, that performance down the stretch, you can't take them away. That has to be a part of the equation. Uh, But he's still not a great defender. He's been good. He's been much better than he has been in the past, but he's still not the distributor that I've always wondered if he can be like a James Harden who's going to be able to just spray the ball around and get 10 assists at night. He's just not that guy. And he's he's been just about the same from an efficiency standpoint. Um, his numbers are not that different from last year. It's just he's having a lot better performance down the stretch. So I think Kyrie Irving is, has outperformed my expectations in terms of the team and the schematics and the defense and just being a leader for that team. But... I still just question whether they're outperforming their point differential now, and it's going to level out at some point. Um, Maybe maybe Brad Stevens is a freak who can – actually coach clutchness um i think the celtics do believe that there's a little bit of that is that you might not the clutch might not be real for players but for coaches there might be some schematic things that they do that promotes winning in those in those tight situations And maybe maybe brad stevens has the secret sauce there but i just don't know with that team how young they are whether they're going to hit a wall with jalen brown and marcus smart and uh and jason tatum whether they're going to hit a wall at some point and they're just not going to have enough energy in the tank and they're going to be relying on Kyrie Irving for just about everything.
1: For me, the coaching and the execution, it's more than a tiebreaker. It can be a real difference maker, but it has to be close enough to make that work. And Boston, you talked about, you know, overachieving their their points of rental. I think the biggest thing that they've done is they've outperformed their talent level. You know, they, they yeah. have really good players. And full credit to this is a a challenge and I get a ton of crap because I wasn't super high on Jason Tatum coming in. And you run into this challenge with a player like Jason Tatum because he has absolutely been better than I expected him to be as a rookie. And, you know, I had him I think I had him sixth or seventh in the in the draft class. He has also been put in a very favorable situation that is no detriment to him. That is not saying, oh, he's crap and he's put in this situation. It's like, no. He was, you know, defensively, he's put in a spot where it's more about switching than staying with your guy. He can do that. He's a smart kid. He works hard and he's making a ridiculous amount of his threes. I don't expect that part of it to continue. So a talented guy put in the perfect situation doesn't make him great. It means that he's doing a great job and you can do well with those players. You can win a bunch of regular season games. We saw this with the Atlanta Hawks as well in that season, especially if you execute defensively, you can beat the bad teams all the time. You can get a lot of wins against the medium teams and you can beat the good teams sometimes. But... The playoffs are an entirely different animal. Execution helps. I mean, we've seen this with the Spurs all the time, but you need top-level talent, and you need undeniability. Boston has undeniability in Kyrie Irving, who has proven it on the biggest stages humanly possible. There is, there's nothing left for him to prove in that way, but the thing that he does still have to prove is, can he be the linchpin of a reliable offense against a great defense? He can definitely carry it for periods of time, but the system can do certain things. But the best teams, including the Warriors in this way, and I think of them for this, one of the things that makes them great is that they break down your offense, that the the ball movement and all that sort of stuff, just they make you an isolation team. And Kyrie is a wonderful isolation player. But I'm going to need to see more from them to, to say they can handle that kind of heat.
0: Now, this is where I'm going to start plugging my story, Danny, for a BR mag, the, the vegan story. Kyrie Irving is... Moving away from eating meats. I don't know if he's still a vegan um, or if he's eating eggs, which is actually vegetarian, but not necessarily vegan because it's an animal product. But a lot of the people I talk to, like nutritionists or coaches or players, is check back in April, check back in June. Let me know how he's doing on that diet. Because right now he's playing incredible basketball, especially down the stretch. But a lot of people are skeptical that he's going to be able to have the same sort of energy. Moving away from animal proteins not to get nerdy, but moving away from that and still being able to maintain this level for eight months, you know, and for the top of the top, which is what Boston wants to be um I think they expect it to be this good eventually, maybe not this season, but I'm curious to see if Kyrie Irving's going to be able to keep this up. I really am. I'm not totally sold that uh switching your diet and and looking the way he does is going to be sustainable in june i just don't know maybe it will he can prove me wrong but it's really hard to keep up this kind of performance and from an energy standpoint for 6 months straight And then go into the playoffs. So I that on top of it, you know, the fact that he's shooting 49 percent from the floor is incredible and he's finishing at a high rate. I just don't know if it's sustainable. Come come May. That's 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 my thing. It's so good so far. But I, I just don't know if it's sustainable until uh, the playoffs.
1: The regular season is a grind. It's a very long grind. But the playoffs are both a sprint and a marathon at the same time. Is you are dealing with maximum effort for different periods of time in a in an entirely separate way, and you're facing opponents that are that's that are approaching it the same way. So you have to be at a very different level physically and mentally. And, and players have talked pretty openly about how draining that can be. And I don't know if the animal protein is going to be a factor in it. <laughs> I feel like Kyrie exists at a plane when maybe even plants and animal, the distinction doesn't matter to him anymore. I don't. I no. mean, I'm sure he could generate some amazing quotes on that. But the, it's co- the
0: quote, much. the quote, Danny verbatim was: "Once you are awake, you don't see that stuff anymore." I don't know what that means. <laughs> when I was like, "Hey, do you do you think you need to eat?" Like, it seems crazy to me that you're giving up eating meat um, as a pro athlete. Like, that seems like. You know, that seems kind of crazy. He's like, once you don't see that, or once you're awake, you don't see that stuff anymore. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, that, like isn't, uh, that is weird. I don't know. I need, like, a dictionary for that.
1: I want to go back because I asked him after game seven. I asked him on the podium about whether he could appreciate that moment, hitting a game-winning shot in the NBA Finals, something every kid dreams of, the, like, at the time. Because it's something very different, you know, if you look back and tell his kids about it and, and the world that he eventually rules about it. But it is a—I I, I don't remember his answer. Now I want to go back and listen to it. I don't think he had one of those amazing quotes on it. But Ky- Kyrie's a fascinating figure and we can get into the into the the vegan piece there's one the point that i thought was most interesting about it is where it intersects with generally where the league is going which is that the nba is becoming a leaner faster league and if becoming a vegan taking not only the animal proteins but also just a lot of the crap out of diets is the way to do it, then maybe more power to it. It's kind of like, you know, the ends justify the means in that way. And you could argue the means justify the means. We're going to have to see that. I'm not saying, oh, veganism is a bad thing or anything silly like that. But it kind of gets players towards where the league is going anyway.
0: Yes, yes. And it's just cutting out the fat and quite literally. The funny thing is, is Black Trey, who's who's on the leverage of the chat, he's on uh, our podcast with, with Basketball Friends and Bomb, uh, nice kicks pod. Uh, Black Trey, he's a vegetarian, and he played. He played collegiately. He's he tried playing at the at the pro level. I mean, he knows a lot of NBA players, and they're all saying the same thing, which is they were eating crap. Growing up, they were eating crap and just eating can you know, tons of candy, uh, fried food, just not a lot of vegetables. And now when they're at the mountaintop, they can't get by eating that stuff. They can't get by eating, you know, putting basically, you know, just soda in their in their gas tank. They can't. And so I think there is this kind of come up for a lot of players, which is there's so much money to be had right now. So much money with the with the TV deal. It'd be stupid not to make sure that for this window in your career, this just you know from 20 years old to 30 years old, you're just going to maximize as much you can in your life, whether it's sleep, whether it's nutrition, whether it's just stress, general stress, and and meditation or whatever it is, you want to maximize it and you know bank all that money. So I don't know if veganism is propelling Kyrie Irving and Garrett Temple and Wilson Chandler and Damian Lillard. What I do think is real science and real actual gains to be had in the NBA is just cutting out the fat, just not eating crap, not going to bed at five in the morning just because you can. And pract- you know, you talk to players and they're practicing very good sleep hygiene. By that, it's just a nerdy way of saying like, take the phone out of your bed. You know, keep it in the bathroom. Don't watch Netflix in bed all the time because take the TV out of the bedroom. Make sure that when you go to bed. You have a blinder. All this stuff is just promoting good natural sleep. And I think a lot more players are into that because it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And they want to make sure that at the end of the day, they get the most out of this window of being an NBA player because it's not like any other profession where you might look at it as like a 30-year career. This is like a 10-year window and sometimes two, three, four years where they got to make as much money as possible. And there's a lot of it right now.
1: And it is a big change. I mean, you think about where these kids go and I mean, whether it's, you know, how, you know, sometimes, especially for the players who grew up, who grew up poor, and there are a lot of them that it's harder to make healthy choices in that way. I mean, there's you, there are lots of studies about this in terms of produce, in terms of a lot of different things. And also just the, the fact that you're living your life, you know, it, it basically basketball, at this point, other than the travel part of it, which is a big thing, and, and that's been well discussed and will continue to be because it needs to be. They they also have the means to make good decisions. And I think what they're finding out is not only is there an incentive to do it, but they can actually get results. And I think yep. that's a, a really important part of this, too, is that you have these incentives in place that, hey, if, if if it gives you 1%, that 1% means a whole lot in terms of winning, in terms of money, in terms of, of happiness, and the fact that it's kind of a short-term sacrifice. And the other part of it that's really heartening to me, and this the, the John Sally part of your piece got to this, is... These are just abnormal human beings in terms of the way they're built and in terms of their size. And so it could also have these spillover benefits for the rest of their life. I mean, maybe they're not going to keep the sleep habits and all that stuff going, but the idea that there are different challenges for being six, seven, six, nine, seven feet tall, and having these healthy habits can make life a lot better for them.
0: Yeah, and I think um, there is a great mystery, which is why do NBA players – keep dying at a young age. And, you know, in that story, John Sally ran through like a roster, Sean Brooks, Moses Malone, Anthony Mason, you go on down the line, a lot of these names, it's sad that they're not with us anymore. And so you can look at it from a medical standpoint, of maybe there is a a, a heart disease or a genetic thing that they just could not have escaped but a lot of the time it's you know the travel and we're learning more about travel and health and how it's just deteriorating and increasingly cumulative where if you travel back to back to back to back to back for 6 months straight and you take a couple months off in the off season and don't do much traveling like that, that it doesn't matter how much time off you have in the off season like you can't undo all the travel that it takes for an NBA player to fulfill an NBA season it's just so hard so it's really like it, it makes you think in terms of diet in terms of sleep habits what's the best way to maximize performance and off the court just longevity and stamina and all that um good health but you know it just gets to the fact that the NBA is faster than it's ever been I mean in this generation it's been about 20 30 years since we've had pace this high in the league I think the stat in the story was in 1997 the fastest league the fastest team in the league would be by far the slowest team today um it's just an incredible acceleration in the league and I think I think a lot of it has to do with quick three-pointers, the Steph Curry effect, but I think a lot of it is just the information that we have medically about sports science has promoted guys training in the offseason to maximize their fitness and to be healthy for the season because you're going to need it. You can't sleep and, and expect to survive in this league.
1: And I don't expect any of those factors to really change. And we could even see it accelerate when some of the players who don't fit that bill get out of the league. You know, as we start to see these these ground-bound centers, they're not being eliminated, but as we see them being marginalized to a point, you know, maybe they're playing more in the 20 to 25 range as opposed to 30 to 35 that will fundamentally keep changing the league and that will enable guys that are further away from that to survive and to thrive. I mean, yeah, there are, there are players in this league that are going to get beasted by Joel Embiid and whoever else and you know, he's he's a freak in a couple different ways. But if we can see traditional fours starting at the five, then that opens up a whole new world in terms of pace, it opens up a whole new world in terms of spacing and a lot of other things. And so it's, I think it's just going to keep going in that direction and there will always be aberrations. Like there will be players who are so good at what they do that it changes it. But also the way that you have the sophistication in terms of approaching it, I think double teams are way better now. Like the the way that certain teams are able to attack these slower moving offenses, especially when it involves yep. a post player, like those sorts of things aren't changing. The, once you develop an attack for that, you can do some counters, but with throwing the ball to a guy in the post other than quick duckings and moving quickly there really isn't that much you can do it's, there's a limitation to it and so as we move away from that you're going to incentivize a lot of these other pieces of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, speed is just always going to be there in basketball and I think aesthetically it's a great thing for our sport. I love the way the, the rules have changed over the years to promote speed and get guys up and down the floor there might be a little bit of a negative externality with that just on an injury level is whether the bodies can hold up for 80 two games playing at this at this pace. And we're certainly seeing injuries up in the first quarter of this season. You know, I've asked around recently about the whether the shortened preseason has anything to do with that. And it's kind of an open book there. But I would say that I think just generally speaking, it's a great brand of basketball and a three point shooting. I know not everyone loves it, but I think the general approach is it's really fun seeing a ball go from very far away into a hoop. It's kind of fun. And so, as much as we want to see, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon down on the block every single night or Patrick Ewing. Those guys were maybe once a generation type players, once a lifetime type players. And so I think this generation watches Steph Curry and Dame Lillard and James Harden and they're blown away by it and it's inspiring a new group of players.
1: And along those lines of inspiring a group of players, something that I've been thinking about a lot, I look at Boys Among Men, which is Jonathan Abrams' wonderful book on my bookshelf and I've been thinking about how I think the NBA – is better situated now than it has ever been to handle young guys coming in because now they understand what kind of investment it is this isn't going to be a player like Jonathan Bender or Jermaine O'Neal I think slept on one of the Davis brothers couch like we're not going to see <sighs> that anymore you know this is this is a different world and so in terms of the age limit like they, they they know what they're dealing with now and what the other thing that I was thinking kind of along those lines is I don't think there's a way to make this work stronger than that, but – I've been thinking about how getting into healthy habits and how important that is, and also how in certain situations means can be a limiting factor there, just because that's the way all of us live. You know, like you can you can get into healthier habits when you have the ability to do so. That maybe I don't think you can get into the academy system. I don't think the NBA is ever going to do it. But wondering about if there's a way that they can have a little bit longer reaching tentacles than they have right now.
0: Yeah, and you know I think it also. LeBron James effect where LeBron James is preaching you know what his what his offseason training regimen looks like it isn't necessarily work hard round the clock it's a lot of just recovery stuff cryotherapy or if it's these these LeBron bubbles that he, he trained on before every game this season that I wrote about for BR mag like these little gimmicky things where it's very clear that LeBron James's body is his temple you know and he makes it cool, right? So the Versa Climber is another example where, like, just a social media campaign of, like, oh man, I'm climbing a mountain today on the Versa Climber. This is exhausting but strive for greatness, right? He's making it cool to care about your health. And I think that goes a long way with the next generation is they're looking up to these guys and they're influential, you know? If they if it's cool to wear strobe light sunglasses and try to train with these goggles on that make you kind of look silly, like if Steph Curry's doing it and Kawhi Leonard's doing it and it's cool, I think just a whole generation is looking up to it and saying like, I don't care what I look like as long as it's going to help me improve my game.
1: And also the financial incentives, you talked about how it affects the players that are in there in terms of veganism. I mean, I'm sure that there are are kids that are looking at the bright line and either seeing also that basketball, if you're good enough, is a much more sustainable career than something like football. But also the fact that it requires this level of diligence and effort is a good thing. Because I mean, you hear a lot of times, like one of my favorite questions to ask a second year player is kind of like what you wish you would have known when you started or like what maybe you were told, but you just didn't get a full sense of it. And what a lot of them say is just how hard it is, how long a grind it is. And so Now with social media, with everything else, I think people who are talented enough to make the NBA are getting a better idea. And that was something that used to be more of a competitive advantage for players who had experience with that, like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson – and all these kids that had that are the children of NBA players, where they had a better idea. Tim Hardaway Jr. had talked about this. I talked with him about it once. Now, it's a lot easier to see what the life of an NBA player is because they're sharing their lives in a much different way.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's important. Um, I think just because you get to know the NBA players more uh, about their lives than any other league, um, it's true that um, you get more of a off court feel for NBA players and you're just more intimate with NBA players because they're not wearing a mask, right? They're 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 all on the floor all the time. Whereas in baseball, they only get up once every four innings or whatever it is. And when a guy is playing in the field, you never see him. And so I think there's just this intimacy and this authenticity to NBA players that I think is only going to increase just the the transparency of what they do in the off season and the type of food that they eat the type of recovery systems that they use on the road like all this is just getting started and it's going to be fascinating to see where like you know gambling this is a whole another podcast but like when you talk about transparency and wearables and when players are sleeping on the road like how many hours of sleep they get like we're going to get to a very Orwellian society where we might know before we place lines on or place bets on the on the line you know, how much Jason Tatum slept the night before, before a championship game. Like that's going to be information that might be possible in five, 10 years, because I think this is where it's trending is just, I mean, we know already how fast teams play on a, on a miles per hour, how much distance they travel. I think it's only a logical ext- extension to believe that we're going to get that kind of biometric data to make this league just that much more interesting. And it's just a matter of the NBA, MBPA, the, the players union, figuring out how to monetize and make sure it's secure and safe and that it's not going to be used against them. But this whole health craze in the NBA, it's just getting started. I re- really think it's just getting started and gambling and the transparency of of information. I think it's just going to be crazy how the league is going to be so much more information and a meritocracy in the next couple of years.
1: So you're saying we're going to have more advanced analytics than the last tweet of the night for J.R. Smith, using that as a calibrator for how he's going to play when he was on the Knicks?
0: <laughs> yeah. And how how many IG models that an NBA player followed in the past six months? Like, yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more sophisticated data on that front. But that's not to say that Jr. Smith, uh, that data isn't fun to just track on your own. Yeah.
1: And so yeah, I mean we're going to see kind of where all this stuff goes. And then the other element that you were talking about, you know, like kind of why the NBA can be a glamorous sport. And I think you talked about just the amount of time that they that they're on the field player that they're involved in the actuality. The other part of it is that NBA teams and NBA play takes on so much more of the personality and the temperament of of the players. So you know, like a Steph Curry team is going to look fundamentally different from a LeBron James team. Irrespective of their surrounding talent, like that, like the NBA, they do that, and it's also true with role players. I mean, you saw this last night with Javale McGee. Like a Javale McGee experience is something separate, and that's true of players that on that are good. That's true of players that are bad, and in basketball, you you'll find somebody that speaks to you. You'll find somebody you know, whether it's Ricky Davis, like it is for 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 Zach, or whether it's you know whoever. You, you'll find somebody that you enjoy watching. Somebody that can connect with that. And in basketball, you'll get an element of that experience when you watch them
0: play. Yeah, totally. You know, I just think the the three-point shot in general is an equalizer. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be seven feet to be successful in the NBA. And I think, you know, Steph Curry's proving that. Uh, last night, Stephen Silas uh, was subbing in for Steve Clifford. And I hope he gets back to the sideline, Steve Clifford. But um, Stephen Silas has known Steph for a very long time. Uh, because of their Charlotte connections Paul Silas is Stephen Silas's dad and he was the head coach for the for the Charlotte Bobcats a few years ago and so he saw Steph at Davidson and was like that guy has it's very questionable whether he has the body to to make it in the league make it in the league just make it and be like a real player. And he went and became the MVP and the first unanimous MVP in the league. So I think the three point shot is a great equalizer. You know, it's not just like Jimmer for going to be able to be an NBA player. You need a little bit more skill than that. Nothing against Jimmer, but you know, I think the way you have to have a diversity of skills, it's not just athleticism. Why Donovan Mitchell has been so good this year. he has got a great shot and he's got a great dribble game. Um, So it's not about just defense and dunks. Uh, He is super skilled. Same goes for Aaron Gordon. I mean, Talk about most improved player candidates. He's been fantastic. It's not just that he's a great athlete. like These guys have really good skill, and it's because of that three-point shot. I think a lot of players are just trying to add new weapons to their game.
1: On top of that, and that's a great point, it feels like players are being more encouraged, especially bigger guys, to have a little bit more diversity in their game, to be able to handle the ball a little bit. And they've, they've been empowered more than they would have been in earlier generations, where that would have largely been a superfluous skill. And handling the ball is fun. I, I was never particularly good at it, but it was still fun. I was more of a soccer player and was better at it there. But you have all of those elements in play and so a guy like Joel Embiid, you know, he has unusual skill sets and shooting you talked about how shooting threes is an equalizer. It's only an equalizer until the big guys start doing it too. And then it, it yeah. becomes it becomes a different conversation. I mean, watching Carl Anthony Towns and the way that he can move with the ball in his hands for a guy his size is incredible. And so I'm excited to see where that part of this goes as well, where you see these physical talents that didn't grow up with the saying of, oh, you're big. You have to go stand in the paint all the time. And if that leads to another revolution in this, I'm here for it. I'm ready for it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's been great. I mean, KP, Porzingis, Giannis and it's crazy the size that we're seeing with these players and what they're doing i mean lebron just kind of started it but then there's like ben simmons as well where it's just how is it possible these guys are that and he, big and simmons able to 610
1: like people lose sight of this sometimes because of the nominal positions on it ben, ben simmons is a big dude like he's not big like dude. porzingis is but i mean he's he's huge and and he's handling the ball he and and what i love about simmons is Brett Brown, to his infinite credit, is just running him like a point guard. It isn't any of this stuff offensively. He, it's, it's no bells and whistles. He is their point guard. He is their Mike Conley type guy. Me, obviously, you can't shoot off the dribble like Mike Conley can, but he is filling that role. They're not. It's not like they're they're giving lip service somebody else. They're like, no, he is our point guard. He's just not necessarily guarding point guards. That's his his spot.
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's great, and we're we're already just. Jaw dropping. Looking at the at the rest of the league with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Giannis, KP. I'm just so thankful we're at this stage in the NBA where these guys are all like just getting their drivers. I mean, not the drivers, their their drinking license. Like they're just about 21 years old. It's so crazy. Donovan Mitchell just turned 21. You know, and Devin Booker. You know, he's out with a groin strain right now, but. He backs up a 46-point performance or whatever it is and comes back the next night. Just an amazing score. And he, I think he's, what, 20, 21? It's crazy. He dropped 70 points last year as like a 20-year-old. That is wild. We're in a great state in the NBA.
1: And There's no reason to believe that any of these guys are going to peak early or something like that, that there's player development is going to shift. So, I mean, we can expect to see this is not even close to the best. Well, maybe close, but this is not the best Giannis we're going to see. This is not the best Joel Embiid we're going to see. And so how these guys develop, I mean, remember the guy that I think about with this is LeBron, because we're the same age, is how good he was at 19 and 20. And you were sitting there going, is he really going to get that much better than this? And the answer was, yes. That doesn't mean all of these guys will, that doesn't mean all of these guys are going to become MVPs, but you look at the arc of this and you say this is where it could be going and it's just so exciting.
0: Yep. I'm, I'm here for it.
1: <laughs> uh, anything else that you feel like we need to go through? I think this we I think we've covered a lot of ground.
0: Yeah. Um, that's just about it. I've got a podcast, a food podcast. That's kind of fun.
1: Yeah. That might be what gets me into top chef. I've, I've heard good things for such a long time. I am interested in cooking and having you and, and Arnovitz talk about it is definitely going to be going to add a little bit of a fire to it for me.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's fun. We're just going to be Taking our breakdowns, just like with you and Nate, taking our breakdowns and nerdy stuff about the NBA, we're going to take it to this show, Top Chef, and it's called Pack Your Knives part of the leverage of the chat network. We got Zach Harper on it. We've got uh Waz Speaks from Big Waz. We've got Bomb Mondays with Mariano, Amin El Hassan, Black Trey, uh Waz on that one too. Um we have nice kicks. We got Yeah, talk hoops with Zach Harper. We've got uh the basketball friends is our just our big stage um main course show and we're we're having a good time. So if you ha- if you're addicted to podcasts like most people who are listening to this uh, make sure you keep listening to real gm radio but also adding some other stuff if you're interested in food if you're interested in politics if you're interested in the nba if you're interested in the sneakers we got all that for you so come by leverage the chat
1: yeah i'm thrilled for you guys that that you've been able to kind of take this in a lot of different directions that all fit what you wanted to do so i am i'm really excited for it and of course for for your excellent writing work as well so thank you so much for taking the time
0: hey thanks for having me on danny
1: thanks again to Tom Haberstroh for taking the time to come on. You can read him at BRMag and you can listen to him on the expanding Leverage the Chat Network including the new Top Chef podcast Pack Your Knives that he talked about and numerous other ones. He did a great job of running through those. You can also, of course, follow him at Twitter at Tom Haberstroh T-O-M-H-A-B-E-R S-T-R-O-H. Really good follow and I- I've really enjoyed the long form pieces he's been doing recently, especially the veganism one, but just, just all over and I think it's such an natural fit for what he does well taking a topic that many people including myself wouldn't even really think about and then it allows you to think about to engage with the league in a very different way and that's something i as a reader as a consumer of content heartily enjoy and the thought that he puts into to even coming up with the idea for a piece much less executing it is is very very impressive so i hope you enjoyed that conversation still working on where i want to go for the rest of the year. There aren't really as many team-specific stories yet, I think, because a lot of that is still being written. For example, I'm recording this shortly before Kawhi Leonard returns, and so of course that's going to be a huge story, and so you know don't want to talk about the Spurs until we have a better sense of that. So I am going to do the broader scope stuff for a little while, and I hope you enjoy that. And then... After that, we'll see. You know, the great thing about Real Jam Radio is that I have the power to kind of go where I want to go with it. And I will always go where I think the story is, where the conversation is. And doing it once a week, you know, that allows it. If you want more of like a daily, like what's going on, you can listen to the Dunked on NBA podcast that Nate Duncan and I do. You can also, if, if it's Warrior specific, you can listen to Warrior's Watch, which is my Warrior specific podcast. And of course, my writing everywhere, you know, the athletic, real GM. I had a new piece on the Okafor-Booker trade that came out this week, and I have some CBA encyclopedia stuff that's ruminating in my brain, and then the sporting news as well. So you can check that out there. You can buy my book, 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's out. It is a wonderful way to support me. It's also a good holiday present for those of you who are still looking for something. And I've been gratified and thrilled with the response so far it's it was such a big part of my life for a period of time and it was weird to have this gap between when i wrote it and when people are reading it but it's been very exciting to see that out there and to even even after the whatever amount of month delay it was unlike a piece where it's usually a day or two that was it's been an, it's been a different experience and I've been very appreciative of it. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is by far the best way to do it. You take the time to write it. I will take the time to read it. I might not respond. I try to, but I might not. I have a lot of other things, but your input is important. And, that, and that's that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm promising to do. And you can also reach out or follow me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Appreciate that as well it's a great way to see what I'm what I'm doing. I I want to get better at using my Facebook page, but I make no promises. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, you can leave a review on the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's iTunes. They are still a behemoth in our industry, but if it's not, that's fine too. And subscribe, download every episode. Those are big things that are true for any podcast. And then of course, checking out our sponsors this episode, DraftKings. You can try out Daily Fantasy, or if you've been doing it a long time, you can still do that. Promo code is realgm. DraftKings.com is how you get there. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun to see where this goes. Probably going to do a Tears podcast at some point soon, whenever I can figure out exactly where I'm feeling on everything and get the right guest. And Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting to see where this goes. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: vaccine is fda authorized for kids five and up do it for your besties and the resties it's safe for your child and can help protect their friends do it for birthdays and help protect your family and game night when you give your child the vax you give them the power to learn do it for field trips and camp out. to experience and big hugs and to be a kid Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. Two days before her high school graduation in 1985, Sherry Smith was abducted from her family home in South Carolina. Soon after, the Smith family began receiving taunting phone calls from the kidnapper, followed by a letter entitled Last Will and Testament, written by Sherry. In his new book, When a Killer Calls, legendary FBI profiler John Douglas opens his case files from 40 years ago and delves into one of his most haunting Investigations, When a Killer Calls, is now available wherever books are sold.